as we're reading the Parsha of Ayeshev, it's really uh, perplexing the uh, simple story as described in the Chumash that Yosef was sold by ten of his brothers. How could it possibly be that all ten brothers went along? We find in the Torah already starting with Cain and Hevel, a brother killing a brother, Yishmoel was trying to kill Yitzchak, and of course we just read about Esau trying to kill Yaakov. But that's technically one Russia against against one tzaddik. But over here, there was all ten of them. How could uh, all ten of them uh, go along with this plot? It just doesn't add up. And especially, we just learned in the beginning of the parish, it says, V'hunar as b'nei bilho, as b'nei zilpa. Rashi explains over there that the children born to Leah were taunting, degrading the other children of Bilha and Zilpa, and they were calling them Bnei Hashvachis, they were calling them names, they were degrading them, they putting them on a lower level, and Yosef, who was also a son of a real wife, of the wife of Rachel, he was, went to their defense, who not has been able to How could it be that those four sons, that he has defended them, he has stood up for them, he took a stand and didn't allow his brothers to do to them and make them feel bad, and he was not How could it be now they're all together wanting to sell that Yosef, the Yosef who stood up for them? Doesn't seem to really uh, be understood so, so on, simple, on the simple level. We look around what's going on in the world today in Europe, how the European countries, one after the other, are recognizing the Palestinian states, and we stand by and wonder at the moral uh, equivalence, and how is it that the only democracy in the Middle East, the only place in where there is freedom of expression, by the Western standards, and on the other side you have dictators, you have... Uh, societies which don't allow for any of the values that we value. And there's just one little tiny Israel, which is a fraction of a fraction. The Jewish people are a minority of a minority. And yet, when it comes the countries in Europe, one after the other, are accepting and taking the sides of the Palestinians. And you wonder, how could they have forgotten so quickly Second World War, where many of these countries were actually part 
and participated in the annihilation of a third of our people. It's not that long ago. And we thought that the world has become a better, safer place. So how could these same people so quickly after that not see and make a distinction between the state, the Jewish people, and take sides. And it's just perplexing. Try going on the universities in the United States and all what you hear is the uh, poor Palestinians and Israel is the aggressor by them. How could this be? Well, last week we had a table on our table was sitting about 10 to 15 people and someone presented a question to the audience. And he said, they said the question was, can you think of an episode in your life in which you stood up against the uh, prevailing opinion to stood up what's right? When you knew that something was right and everybody else was wrong and you had the courage and you had the fortitude to get up and say it as it is, Think about it. That was the question presented. And at the table from these 10, 15 people, there wasn't one person that could remember one act that they can relate, that they stood up. The only act that they actually remembered was a case where they didn't stand up and they should have stood up and they felt bad for not standing up. But nobody can find a case in where they actually spoke out against injustice. They went against the flow to speak the truth, to speak of their conviction, and to say it out loud. What does the Torah want by telling us the story about the brothers selling him and about Nobody speaking up. The Torah perhaps was telling us human nature so that when we see what goes on in the world, we shouldn't be surprised and perplexed and actually expect what we see. Because you see, it's inconceivable that the sons of Bilha and Zilpah were in it to go ahead and sell Yosef. If you asked any one of them, they would definitely say we object, we disagree, this is wrong, and don't do that. But they did not have that power, that courage to go up and stand up against those brothers that were plotting it and to say, no, stop, don't do this, this is wrong. They did not have that what it takes to go ahead and speak, speak up, take a stand and tell them and stop them from what they were doing. 
So, the end of the day, if you don't speak up, and if you don't take a stand, although it's very, very difficult, but then you become part of the crime. And therefore, it's considered like all the brothers. The Torah is telling us. They probably wouldn't want. That's what the Torah told us, that it's not something that they wanted to do. But they went along because they were afraid to speak up, and therefore it's considered that all the sons together sold Yosef. And then we read at the end of the parsha that Vilayzachar Sarhamashkin as Yosef Ayishkochayu. And Yosef saw one day while in prison, he saw the Sarah Mashkin and the Sarah Oifim, the baker and the butler of the palace of Paro, were also incarcerated over there. And he saw their faces that they are upset. And Yosef says to them, what's on your mind? Why are you upset? What happened? And they said that they had a dream, each one of them, and they're disturbed by the dream that they had. And Yosef says to the butler, tell me, what did you dream about? And he says, maybe, maybe God will give me the right answer to your dream. Maybe I can resolve, interpret your dream. And Yosef interprets his dream, and he tells him that what's going to take place in three days, that he's going to go back to Pharaoh. Yaakov, uh, Yosef asks the Sarah Mashkin, the butler, he says, do me a favor. When you get out of this dungeon, of this prison, remember me. Speak up for me. Talk to Pharaoh. And tell them that there's an innocent man lingering in jail for no crime at all. He was kidnapped from his land, from the lands of the Hebrews. And also while here he hadn't done anything wrong. It was a story concocted by Potiphar's wife. And she planted evidence and she made up a whole lie and they put him to jail. So he said, remember, mention me for good to the king and have them help me take me out from this place. And of course, the last words of the Parsha is, Zohar Saramashkin as Yosef and as Rashi says, he forgot him immediately and forgot him in the long term. And Rashi explains that the reason Yosef had to spend two more years in jail was because he relied on the Sarhamashkin. And one wonders, wasn't Yosef supposed to use the natural means to his disposal to go ahead and seek his freedom? As you know, the story goes with, I send you the helicopter, the boat. Hashem sends natural means to help them. Why was Yosef punished and he had to spend another two years for seeking help? On the contrary, if Yosef seemingly 
would have not said anything, he would be violating Allah and not using natural means of getting him out from the dungeon over there. He was supposed to ask him. So why was he punished for asking and using natural means to help him on his behalf to free him from that place? And the answer is that Yosef relied on the Sarah Mashkin. Which means that even though we are instructed to use natural means in order to be able to accomplish Hashem's wishes, Hashem sends these natural means, but we have to realize and remember that it's not those means that provide protection, but it's Hashem that provides the protection. He merely uses those means as the vehicles and ways in which to give us, to send us this protection. Yosef Rashi explained he trusted and he thought that his salvation will come from the Saramashkin. That it is up to the Saramashkin to help him. And that was wrong. You know, of course, we have the best friend of Israel, the United States, who is our ally and who sends us the sophisticated ammunition that we need in order to be able to battle our enemies. And of course, we need to have the greatest hakoras hatoiv recognition and thank you and appreciation for this wonderful, wonderful country that we live in. Notwithstanding some of the moral mistakes as coming out now in the press with the torturings and things like that, but yet America stands single-handedly as our friend, as our ally, as our supporter through thick and thin. However, we must realize that America is there as a vehicle through which Hashem sends His wishes through. So America serves as an agent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, we know that we have to rely, the only one we can rely on is on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're not relying on Mitzrayim, as Yosef did, and we're not relying on America. We're relying on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ashley Odom, Asher Loisom, Miftachoi, that you make Hashem as you're trusting. And you, came to the realiza- you come to the realization that the other ways are just means of Hashem's blessing. And therefore, if we want to be successful, is not to try to uh, satisfy Americans. What we need to do is satisfy HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But of course, it goes without saying, sometimes you wonder why some Israeli public officials say more than they need to say to antagonize the Americans, to say bad things. They misspeak and talk sometimes uh, too much to just say things. But the point here is 
that one needs to recognize that it is everything from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, the main approach needs to be to get HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blessings and do what's in the good in the eyes of Hashem. And this is also the story of Hanukkah that's coming up. As we know that even though it took natural means by the Hanukkah, it took war, it took battles, but yet it was the blessing of Hashem that these few in numbers and the weaker, as we say in the Alanisim, it was the Abish's help. Yes, they had to wage war at the battle, but it was a totally uh, imbalance. But yet, they were able to be victorious, and we celebrate the miracle of Hanukkah. And that is all Be'ezras Hashem. And I think that's the message that we can learn from the Parsha.